Welcome to the Calvary Church Podcast. We're glad that you are here and that you can be a part of a recent service at TCC. So let's join the service, which is already underway, and listen to the message. On Thursday, July 24th, 2008, nearly 12 years ago, a young mom named Kelly, she was 31, her and her son, who at the time was two years old, they were from Hamilton, Ohio, they died 100 yards from my house. They had been driving down the road when they flipped their van and were partially thrown from the vehicle. Kelly's daughter, who was three years old at the time, was life-flighted to Cincinnati Children's Hospital and survived. About a half an hour after the accident occurred, Kristen and I came home. It was a Thursday, and the local TV station van, Channel 12's van, was parked outside of our home as they reported on the accident. Police and ambulance were on the scene, and the van was still there, and Kelly was unfortunately still laying there. It was a very somber atmosphere where she crashed her van. There were two large signs that blocked the entire road, and the road said, or the sign said, road closed. Her van lay flipped on its side just in front of the sign to the right. Kelly saw the road closed sign and attempted to stop before she hit them. So instinctively, she tried to swerve but lost control. There are a lot of possible causes for her death and maybe... It was the seatbelt she wasn't wearing, or maybe she hit her head on glass. There might have been some internal injuries. But the real reason we could surmise that Kelly died that evening was not just merely the injuries she sustained. The real cause could be attributed to the fact that Kelly bypassed the sign that you see on the screen. This is the sign that she went around about a half a mile before she ever got to the two road closed signs that blocked the road beside my house. Signs that give everything that she needed to know. Signs that told her of the impending danger ahead. Signs that gave her an alternative route Signs that were obvious. But for some reason, Kelly went around the sign. Maybe she thought the sign was outdated. Maybe she thought the sign was put up by someone who didn't really work for the Department of Transportation. Maybe she thought that the sign was not true. Maybe she didn't see the sign. Maybe she didn't think that the road ended where it ended. Maybe she thought she could still get through. Maybe she was in a hurry and it was just too inconvenient to go around. 
maybe the last time she came through, it was open, and surely things wouldn't change that quickly. But it illustrates for us how simple sometimes the difference between life and death is. It illustrates in a spiritual sense the importance of knowing truth, believing truth, and obeying truth. And I would like to submit tonight that it illustrates to us the road to salvation. Truth is like that sign in the road, and we have a choice how we view that sign. The Word of God, truth, doctrine, like that sign, stand fixed in the middle of our roads, in the middle of life, blocking our natural, normal, and easy path, telling us the road is closed ahead. You can't get where you want to go using this way. There is significant danger ahead when you take this way. Over and over, God's word stands as a sign in front of us. God's word gives us an alternative route that says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. The choice is, will we see the sign? Will we believe the sign? Will we obey the sign? Tonight, we begin a doctrinal series called The Road to Salvation. And here's what I believe is that doctrine matters. Your theology, what you believe and how you believe uh, the Bible and what you believe about God matters because doctrine puts us on a course. What we believe puts us on a course. Our hope in this series is that you will see clearly the direction that God gives us to help us find eternal life. I pray that not only will you know the direction, but that you will believe the word of God and ultimately you will obey the truth of God's word. So as we consider this big important topic of salvation... Let's consider what we mean when we say salvation. The first question we come to on this topic is, why do I need to be saved? Well, we believe the Bible to be true here at the Calvary Church, and, and so our perspective of the reason to be saved and the way to be saved comes from the Bible. And so if you don't believe in God and you don't believe in the Bible, I encourage you to uh, contact us and let us talk to you further about what we believe uh, is God in our life and the importance of the Bible in our life. But the Bible emphatically declares that all human beings are sinners. Proverbs 29 says, who can say, I have made my heart clean? I am pure from my sin. We are sinners. Isaiah chapter 64, verse 6, but we all are like an unclean thing and all our righteousnesses are like filthy rags. We all fade as a leaf and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. We are sinners. 
And if you believe the Bible is true, then you believe that every human being is a sinner and therefore stands in need of salvation. As Romans chapter 3, verse 23 says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Sin has created the need for salvation. Sin has created the need for salvation. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. Sin has led us to a place of death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. There is a road to death, and there is a road to life. Sin leads to death. Sin separates us from God. You don't have to do anything to be on the road to death, to sin, because we are born in sin and shaped in iniquity, the scripture tells us. Sin, our life, leads to death. It's the curse that God gave to humanity because of Adam and Eve's sin in the garden, that death is a guarantee, Sin, therefore, separates us from God. It is the great divider. We did a series in the fall of 2019 called The Pursuit of Holiness, another doctrinal series. In it, we talked about the fact that God is holy, and therefore, our sin, our unholiness, separates us from Him. God is holy, And because Adam and Eve sinned, they had to be separated from God. However, Christianity proclaims and the word of God proclaims, the Bible proclaims that God has provided salvation through Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 3, 24 says, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as a propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness, because in his forbearance, God had passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Salvation then is God's un, or God's willingness to forgive us of those sins. God is willing to forgive us of our sins because of Jesus Christ. He is willing to reconcile us to himself, to reunite us to himself because of the work of Jesus Christ. Salvation in a general sense can refer to any deliverance or uh, preservation or liberation that comes. In a theological sense, it means deliverance from the power and effects of sin. So when we say we want salvation and we reach for salvation and we are saved, it means that we are delivered from the power and effects of sin. And so the essence of salvation is receiving forgiveness of sins through faith in Christ. 
It's receiving forgiveness of sins. We are born in sin. We are uh, by nature uh, sinful. Therefore, the only way to be reconciled to God is to have our sins forgiven, our sins remitted, our sins washed away. An unholy person cannot approach a holy God. So how do we approach God? How do we become reconciled to God? Our sins must be forgiven. And so the forgiveness of sins comes to us through Jesus Christ and allows us to be reconciled to him. It allows us to be in right standing, in right relationship to him, to approach the throne of God. In the Old Testament, we read about animals and we read about the sacrifice of animals. And this was simply a picture, uh, a, a picture for us to see the ultimate work of Christ. But animals were not sufficient to cover sins. And the reason is humanity was created in the image of God. The animals were not created in the image of God. Humanity was created in the image of God, and therefore humanity was required to reconcile man back to God. In order to provide a suitable substitute, God manifested himself in flesh through the man, Christ Jesus. Christ is the only sinless man who ever lived. And so he was the only one who did not deserve to die and therefore could be the perfect substitute for our sins. Therefore, his death became, and I'll use a theological term that Paul uses, uh, the propitiation or the atonement. Uh, I heard somebody say the word atonement means to be at one with God, that reconciliation. It was through Christ, the, the perfect one, who died as a substitute for our sins. He atoned us and made it possible for us to be free of sin. Therefore, God pardoned our sins without violating his holiness or his justice. So it was a holy Man who died for our sins. God manifest in the flesh. So, again, we're looking at Romans chapter 3. Let's look at it again. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. How then are we justified? We are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as a propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance, God has passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. And so we realize it took an innocent man to make it possible for you and I to find forgiveness of sins. Therefore, John chapter 3, 16 tells us, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life that should have salvation, 
the ability to overcome the power and the effects of sin. And so there are three perspectives of salvation that I think are important to understand when we use the word salvation. And when we speak about salvation, we speak about it in three ways. First, we say we were saved, meaning that at a past point in time, we received forgiveness of sins. We received freedom from sin's control and power in our life, and we received the ability to live for God. So we speak of being saved in a past tense. We might remember the moment that we believed in Jesus Christ and we repented of our sins and we were baptized in his name and we were filled with his spirit and we, we had this experience where we were saved in the past sense. We had this sense of overcoming the power and effects of sin in our life. Titus chapter 3 tells us that when the kindness and the love of God our Savior Toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. How did he save us? Through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the spirit, whom he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, that having been justified by his grace, we should become heirs in the future according to the hope of eternal life. So there's sense, there's this sense of salvation in the past. We also can say that we are saved. We are currently saved. We might say that we're saved, sanctified, and filled with the Spirit. That's a phrase that's used often, but we're in the present tense saved because we presently enjoy forgiveness of sins. We presently enjoy the power to live for God and the freedom from the power and effects of sin in our life, in our day-to-day living. And so not only did his death purchase past salvation from sin, but his life provides a present victory from sin through his spirit that dwells in us. And so it's imperative that we realize that we don't have just a moment of salvation in the past, but we are saved. We are living a saved life. And then we realize that salvation is something that will come in the future. We have not yet received our final and complete deliverance from all the curse of sin. We still live in a sinful and imperfect world. We have mortal and corrupt bodies. We have a sinful nature and we face temptation every day. We have the ability to sin. So therefore we can say that salvation awaits us in the future. So in Romans chapter 13, 11, it says, and do this knowing the time that now is, it is high time to awake out of sleep for now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. So there's this sense of salvation in the future that it's getting closer to us. The night is far spent, the day is at hand, therefore let us cast off the works of darkness, let us put on the armor of light, let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry or drunkenness, nor in lewdness or lust, not in strife and envy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. In Philippians, Paul said, for our citizenship is in heaven. 
from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to his glorious body according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. So we realize that we have a future, a salvation that is waiting for us and an amazing message by Pastor Kristen on Sunday calling us to be prepared for that day, to make ready that day of salvation. And so then how then are we partakers of this great salvation? If there is this salvation that we can in fact enjoy both in this life and in the life to come, how then are we able to be partakers of it? First, we must know who Jesus is. Not only know who he is, but we must believe that Jesus Christ is the only way we can experience salvation in this life and in the life to come. Let me maybe state something that for most of you is elementary, but it's so vital. We cannot be saved apart from Jesus Christ. John chapter 14, 6 says, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. We are not going to find salvation apart from Jesus Christ. He said, I am the way. I am the road. I am the truth. I am the life. I am eternal life. No one experiences and reconciles with God apart from Jesus Christ. Jesus would say, therefore, I said to you that you will die in your sins. For if you do not believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. As much as we think that we can do things on our own, we must realize that we will not receive eternal life without believing in Jesus Christ. I know it's very simple, but we have to realize that eternal life only comes through Jesus Christ. We cannot do enough good things in this life to deserve what Jesus Christ is offering us. I've had many conversations with people as they come to a point of decision in their life and believing in Jesus Christ, repenting and being baptized and being filled with his spirit and those kind of things. And and I've heard many times people say, "I, I don't want to be baptized until I get my life together. Well, if we have to get our life together to receive the grace of God in our life, then then God's word is invalid. It it means nothing. We don't deserve what God is offering. Therefore, we aren't trying to fix everything in order to deserve what Christ is giving us. We cannot say enough good things in our life to deserve what God is offering us. Romans chapter 5 verse 6 says, for when we were still without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. When we were without strength, in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. Meaning, you had nothing to offer God. You had no strength to bring to God. Yet in that weak, lowly, and lifeless, and and, uh, 
empty state, God said, uh, I'm going to bring salvation. And Christ died for the ungodly, the unholy, those who didn't deserve it. And so Paul continues, for scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man, someone would even dare die. But God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were yet sinners. When we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's an amazing thought. That we are partakers of salvation only because of Jesus Christ. He paid the ultimate price for you and I to be saved. Therefore, what he offers us cannot be earned. Through scripture, salvation is called a gift. It's grace. It's God's unmerited, undeserved, unwarranted and unearned favor. God gives us something we did not deserve. God's grace is offered to us without anything in return. He did it for us, and it's a gift. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4, But God, who is rich in mercy... Because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved, and raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus." For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourself. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Grace is God's gift to us. So how can we be partakers of this grace? How can we receive this gift of salvation? God's grace, the scripture says, that we are saved, for by grace you have been saved through faith. God's grace is received through faith. Salvation comes into our lives through faith. Now, I want to conclude tonight with some thoughts about faith. Faith is not just the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Faith begins with that knowledge of Jesus Christ. It begins with this idea that he is who he says that he is, that you have to believe that he is the Messiah, that he is the Christ, that he is the one who died for your sins. You have to believe that. It's a sense of knowledge. But faith is more than that. Faith is really a belief in Jesus Christ. It's, it's more than knowing 
the facts about Jesus Christ, but it's believing that he is who he said that he is. I would argue, and you probably have your own examples in life, but we know there's a difference between knowing something and believing something. You can know something and not believe. But you cannot believe without knowing. How then, the scripture says in Romans 10, how then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sin? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? So then, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And so we have this sense of hearing something, but also believing something, putting our trust into it. I I come back to my original statement that says what we believe matters. I didn't say what we know matters, what we believe matters. Like the lady who saw the sign, her knowledge of it was, was different than her belief in it. It was not the same. When she came up to the sign, she knew the sign was there. She knew what it said. But belief is different than knowledge. If she had believed the sign, she would not have went around the sign. And faith is measured by belief and not knowledge. Faith is measured by belief and not knowledge. And I would argue one step further that belief is measured by obedience. You ever been in a situation where you've heard alarms going off? Maybe you've been in a hotel or you've been in a building and the alarm goes off and there's this sense of that's probably not real. I was in a hotel uh, last year and, and the alarm went off and it was during a youth convention in Missouri and I've been to enough youth conventions to know that the alarms go off. And so there was that sense in me that this probably wasn't the real deal. And sure enough, it wasn't. And my belief and my sense of knowing the alarm went off was stopped by my belief of my past experience. And so therefore... I did not believe the alarm. I knew the alarm was real, but I did not believe the alarm and I did not obey the alarm. And I'm not recommending you do that. We should always obey the alarms in our life. But my horrible illustration tells us we've all probably been in some circumstances where we've heard something or we've uh, been been in an environment where something told us something, but we didn't believe it. And how do I know if I really believe God's word, I would argue that it's not because you know the facts of God's word. And it's not just because you've memorized God's word, but it's because you have somehow made some decisions in your life because of the word of God. 
We know we believe something when it impacts our life. Faith is powerful because faith, real faith, causes action. Real faith causes action. I cannot say that I believe something if it doesn't cause me to do something. If I say I believe something and yet I act like it didn't really say what it said or call me to do what it does, then I can't really say that I have faith in it. I have faith in chairs every time I sit on them. I I don't have to just speak to the chair and say, chair, I have faith in you. The reason you know that I have faith in the chair is because I actually sit in the chair. In James chapter 2, 14, James tells us, what does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food and one of you says to them, depart in peace, be warmed and be filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that there is one God, you do well, even the de- demons believe and tremble, but you do, uh, but do you want to know, O oh foolish man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham, our father, justified by works when he offered Isaac, his son, on the altar? Do you see that faith was working together with his works, and by works, faith was made perfect? The scripture was fulfilled, which says Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. You see then that a man is justified by works and not by faith only. Likewise, was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way? For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. So therefore, we could say that faith and obedience are of the same coin. They're just different sides of it. They can't be separated. Faith equals obedience. Think about people of faith in Scripture. We talked about Abraham and Rahab. You think about any great character in Scripture, you will realize that their faith was known by their response to the Word of God. And here is the challenge that we face. Faith sometimes and works seem to be the same thing. They're not the same thing. Or faith, I should say, or works and uh, uh, this sense of obedience, I should say. Not faith and works, but works and obedience are not synonymous. In the sense that when Paul uses the word works in Galatians, he's not talking about just doing and obeying God's word. He's talking about the law. And so therefore, we realize that that James is writing here about our obedience and not just this sense of doing something to gain God's favor. And so people sometimes confuse obedience with works and uh, might say, well, 
if I'm saved because of repentance or if I'm saved because of baptism, then aren't I just doing a work? And the argument I would say is that I am not being baptized to to uh, make God like me. I'm being baptized because I'm in obedience to God's word. I'm demonstrating my faith in Jesus Christ. I'm demonstrating what Christ has already done. I'm saying I believe it, and therefore I'm going to obey his word. And so I accept what Christ has done for me by obedience. And obedience is my expression of faith. Therefore, when we consider our lives and our faith in Jesus Christ, it must be more than just some mental assent or an articulation of knowledge of facts that, hey, I believe in Jesus Christ. I would say that real faith, when we really believe in Jesus Christ, it moves us. It moves us to action. It changes how we live. It changes how we act. It changes what we do. So the question comes back to, does what you say you believe impact how you live? Does what you say you believe impact how you live? Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe what? That he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Seeking him is not a work of man. Seeking him is obedience and acceptance of what he did on the cross. Obedience is the flip side of the coin of faith. It is fused with faith. So how are we partakers of this salvation? As we consider this road to salvation, we realize that the road is available because of Jesus Christ. And the road is paved with God's grace leading us to eternal life. And we move on this road of salvation in the vehicle of faith. And obedience steers the vehicle on the road. That road that was paved with the blood of Jesus Christ. And so when asked the question of what should we do after they heard about the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, Peter simply said, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for the remission or forgiveness of sins, that doing away with those sins that caused you to be distant from God and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for this promise is to you, to your children and to all who are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. And so when I think about that young mother at the beginning of our lesson, I'm faced with that question. Will I see the sign? Will I see the truth of God's word? But not only will I see it, will I believe it? Will I really have faith in what it's saying and what it's telling me? And ultimately, the choice is ours. Am I going to obey the word of God?
Do I go around the sign and say, well, maybe he meant something else. Maybe there's another way. Maybe I can just bypass what he wants. Or do I simply, in faith, obey his word? And so our app time tonight, I've got a simple question for you, and you're going to have to think back to maybe your childhood, but how old were you when you first had an awareness or thought of God? How old were you when you first had an awareness or thought of God? Tell somebody about one of the first times you can remember where you were aware of God or thought of God. I'll give you a couple minutes to text somebody how old you were, what that experience was like, what you remember of it. It could be for some of you in your teenage years, could be for some of you even in your adult years. But tell of a time when you first became aware of God. I'll give you a couple minutes. All right, well, hopefully you were able to connect with somebody. It's always an interesting question to kind of look back on your life and remember where you were, what time of life, where you started becoming aware of God, that awareness of God, that sense that he is who he says that he is, and then ultimately that journey to believe him, to believe that he was who he said he was, and then that step of salvation or that step of obedience where you begin to obey the word and you see God's love manifested in your life. And so I pray that as we continue to look at this road to salvation, that salvation would not just be something that is in the past, that I got salvation and it has no bearing on my life today. And it wouldn't just be something that we look forward to in the future. But salvation is something that is very relevant to our lives every day. And so, I pray that we would know the Word of God, we would believe the Word of God, we would obey the Word of God, and see the salvation of God in our life. I want to pray for you in closing. Lord, we thank you, God, for your Word tonight. I thank you, God, for just that understanding of who you are, understanding how far you came to love us and care for us, and reach for us, and reconcile us. Lord, thank you for your mercy, and your grace, and your love for us, that 
goes beyond any boundary, anything that we could uh, put up, anything that would keep us from you. Lord, your love keeps reaching. It never stops. And Lord, thank you for the salvation that so many have received, that, that initial experience where their sins were washed away and they entered into a covenant of forgiveness with you. And thank you, God, for the hope of salvation, the hope of eternal life. God, that even though we may face difficulty in this life, we know that there is a better life to come. And Lord, help us. Give us the grace for the days ahead. God, that we would live this life in a way that brings glory and honor to you and that we would live in a way that overcomes the effects and power of sin in our life today. Thank you, God, for your word. We pray that you would bless us the remainder of this week in Jesus' name. So the Lord bless you, the Lord keep you, the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. I pray that he would lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. God bless. See you soon. This podcast was brought to you by the Calvary Church in Cincinnati, Ohio. For more information about the Calvary Church, please visit our website at www.thecalvarychurch.com. Consider joining us for a service where you will find friendly people, high-energy music, and life-transforming preaching and teaching from a biblical worldview. You can find our podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or on our website at www.thecalvarychurch.com. Until next time, thanks for listening.